Dimension. I'm your host, Derek. Uh, tonight, my wife is not going to be joining us, um, so we have a guest uh, who happens to be my brother, Noel, and we're going to be talking about 9-11. Um, obviously, this is a quite the subject, but uh, we figured we'd kind of just go at it from a cold um, standpoint and See where the conversation takes us. Uh, not really sure. Don't have too many plans. Uh, just gonna take it from whatever and see what happens. So yeah, what are your thoughts? <laughs> uh, I've sort of been thinking a lot about recently uh, just the overall global war on terror. Just because sort of nine eleven was sort of one of the reasons that we were sort of given for that war happening and since you were deployed overseas for that war i was just kind of wanted to sort of talk to you about first uh just like your your own experience being like part of that war i know like you weren't necessarily privy to any like crazy secrets or anything like that but just like your overall sense of when you were deployed there what what uh if any ties you saw back to 9-11 or if, if even anything you did there pertained at all to anything that happened because of 9-11? Um, well, I was deployed to Iraq um, about one hour south of Baghdad, a place called Al-Hilla province, which is basically in Babylon. Um, it's super small little city, like a village, basically, like a rural community. Um, and there was definitely virtually nothing um, associated with 9-11 whatsoever um, in that area where I was stationed at uh, for the year there. Um, I would say by the time I got there, because I was deployed from uh, 2008 to 2009, um, the majority of the surge had already made mostly ended, and uh, we were just mostly doing presence patrols and trying to get the uh, Iraqi army and Iraqi police to do their own raids and do their own surveillance and all that. So um, not too much going on in the way of fighting mostly just uh random mortars very minimal ieds and uh pretty much it but um as far as 9-11 goes definitely um <laughs> extremely far removed from any sort of uh threat that we witnessed on 9-11 and me being in iraq in 2008-2009 so the reason I sort of wanted to lead with that is just because sort of like what, what Bush told us uh, when 9-11 happened was that essentially that there was a link between like Saddam and, and the Taliban and stuff like that. And sort of later on, it came to light that there really was no link and there were no weapons of mass destruction or anything like that. So 
it seems like the whole reason for that whole war was sort of just fabricated. Like there wasn't really any official reason for us to be there other than to get oil or, or some sort of monetary gain. There wasn't really, it really had nothing to do with 9-11. It was just a sort of a convenient excuse for us to be there. Yeah, 9-11 definitely was a very good reason. Uh, just like what's happening now with COVID, um, it was a very good excuse that they immediately capitalized on in order to further their own secret agenda that they had. You know, we went to Afghanistan right away, or Special Forces did immediately after 9-11, uh, pretty much toppled the Taliban instantly super fast uh most likely killed osama bin laden in the tora bora raids with delta force and the cia most likely uh you know and uh, ever since then we've been in a perpetual state of war um that led into iraq with pure propaganda um from all from all sides uh the media the defense departments, um, the president, Cheney, um, you know, even all the main people like uh, Colin Powell and uh, Donald Rumsfeld, um, that has just uh, perpetuated an ultimate waste of <laughs> lives and money and uh, everything else. Sort of what got me thinking about it was... Uh... I had told you about uh, that uh, in one of my classes last year, I, I was uh, required to read a, a letter from a from an army ranger to a young army ranger. And uh, that Rory Fanning guy who wrote it basically said that on his first day uh, in ranger school, he had a meeting with his superior, basically. And the guy asked him, like, why he had signed up for ranger school and he basically said like he 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 joined up because of 9/11 and wanted to stop the terrorists and whatnot but the his commanding officer basically said if you're here for any other reason than to kill hajis then you're in the wrong place and uh just sort of like i don't know the the weird like demonization of of islam that got associated with 9/11 even though like I don't know, it doesn't really seem like having this whole war against, like, Islam, like, really didn't really have anything to do with 9-11. It just, like, was a way for the army to sort of paint this, like, sort of straw man of, like, Islam is evil, so it's okay for us to be killing these these people in, in the Middle East, basically. Yeah, it's the same. It's the same story every time, regardless of the war, which... I didn't really know anything about the army prior to joining, uh, other than what my friends had said had told me. So I kind of just assumed that the army and the military in general was uh, overall good, and not had didn't have any nefarious uh, purposes, and was overall you know a force for good <laughs> in the world. I I thought that before joining, uh, but it was quite clear. Um, once I got to basic training that, um, especially in the infantry, uh, I'm not sure how it is for non-infantry jobs, but 
in the infantry, the second you get to basic training, your only uh, task really is to kill. I mean, from the second you wake up till the second you go to sleep, you're surrounded in a warrior uh, killing culture that uh, just purely glorifies uh, death. So, you know, it, it, you know they, it doesn't matter if it's what the enemy is. It, who cares, basically? Uh, call whoever the enemy. Whoever the government dictates as the enemy, the, you know, the U.S. Army Infantry goal is to destroy uh, that enemy. So, you know, like for my generation, it's the Hajj, which, you know, they turned a noble pilgrimage to Mecca. You know, that's what the Hajj is. For for every mm-hmm. Muslim, it's supposed to it's, they're supposed to go on the Hajj journey. Um, they turn that whole thing into a derogatory tor- term. Um, but it's the same in every war, you know. Uh, in Somalia, they called the Somalians skinnies. In Vietnam, they called the um, Vietnamese uh, gooks or zipperheads. In Germany, you know, in World War Two, they called them uh, Krauts. Um, it, it, it's always the same since the beginning of warfare, you know. It's easier to dehumanize uh, your enemy because the natural instinct of, of man is not to kill other humans. So the only way really to effectively have a fighting force is to dehumanize the other side. So that makes it makes it seem like it's not as bad when you're killing them, you know, like they're not a human um so it was made extremely clear from the very first day of basic training in the infantry that our job is to, you know, our our only job is to go out and kill the enemy. Everything else is second to that. Mm-hmm. So I reread, reread that um, message to a young army ranger that you're talking about recently the other day. And uh, everything he was saying in, in that letter um i it resonated with me because that's just the the flat reality of the situation especially in the in ranger battalion uh, really just in in the infantry itself it's a pure machismo um world and that's really the only way that it can operate because you know the whole goal is to go and kill and if you can't get on board with that, your your force is gonna lose. <laughs> so if you have a majority of the of the fighting force thinking too hard about their morals and shit, they're not gonna be wanting to return fire and <laughs> uh, do hasty ambushes and all that type of stuff. So um, you know, since the dawn of time, it's been the uh, any armies. Um, aim to dehumanize the other side so they can win, basically. Right. So, getting past that, like, sort of, like, the global war on terror, like, it seems like with 9-11, there's, there's so many, like, holes in the official story that it's, like, almost hard to choose, like, where to even begin. I know where we can, be- we can begin. Um... <laughs> We should begin 
on, you know, because 9-11 for us is the older generation's JFK assassination. You know, that was the last major world-shattering event before 9-11 was um, JFK being assassinated. So Mm -hmm. everyone who was alive there in the Dealey Plaza uh, or just saw it on TV, uh, 11-22-63, can remember where they were. So let's start, if you you know, can you recall where you were on 9-11? Yeah, I remember it very clearly, actually. I was in... uh... I was in eighth grade at the time, and I was in my computer class in the morning, and uh, they, I guess, someone had told our teacher that it was happening, so she turned on the TV that we had in our classroom and started watching it, and it was, like, sort of hard to tell what was going on on, like, a tiny screen, and I don't think there was even really audio, but uh, sort of... It's sort of horrifying, like, especially as, like, sort of, I was, like, a young teenager at the time, like, seeing, like, obviously our country was under some sort of attack, but without any, like, sort of context behind it, like, who knows, like, what exactly was going on, so I was just sort of, like, sort of transfixed by it and horrified, and as more news, like, started to come in, like, um, I think... Maybe, like, this is sort of, like, hindsight or, like, what with what I know now, like, with all the research that I've done, like, it almost seems like the official narrative, like, happened too soon. Like, like pretty much, like, it seemed like the news, the news media already knew that it was the Taliban and Osama bin Laden, like, immediately. Like, how did they get that intel? Like, even, like, the, pres- the president himself, like, had to be briefed. Like, how did, like, the media, like two and two together that that quickly yeah very convenient basically um that's that's where i was um i was in ninth grade uh so i was at john adam or i was at west mesa and um it was the morning and i think it was my first period class but i had art um and i was in art class and before I had gone to our class, me and a few other people had um, smoked a bowl of weed. <laughs> and um, I was listening to, the art teacher didn't really care what anyone did, you know. I can't remember what her name was. I had her for many, many years. <laughs> um, man. Anyway. Was it Miss No, it was the other lady. The white one. Um, I think that it, I'd probably know who it is, but I, yeah, I don't really remember that. I had I had a different art teacher. So. Yeah, I had the one that was slightly less. Um, she hadn't been there as long at that time, but uh, she probably stayed there longer. Oh yeah. But anyway, um, I was in her class and I was quite high, and <laughs> I was listening to the Ramones on my tape player. Um, <laughs> I had a a tape of the Ramones that I had recorded off of a CD and I was actually listening to the song um uh the world is hanging upside down uh, <laughs> I can't remember the name of it but that song was playing when um I realized that uh what was going on around me the teacher had put on the attack on the TV and she was crying everyone was freaking out and I was just kind of 
oblivious to what was going on because I was so high <laughs> that I was just trying to understand what the hell was going on. Um, and I don't even know if I took my headphones off, to be honest. I think I just kept listening to the Ramones and just went to the next class. Like, I don't even think I even, like, registered any alarm whatsoever. Like, I didn't even seem to think about it one bit. Like, it didn't even cross my mind. Like, oh, whatever. I mean, fuck. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I just remember having a, not much of a feeling when it happened. Um, just being, I was only 14 and... Um, I was high and I just didn't care about much at that time and it did not have a very profound effect on me uh, to say the least which is sad thinking about it now like it it's pretty intense you know like watching the footage now it's like damn but it doesn't it didn't really have any effect on me at that time yeah um, sort of uh... I think it was sort of like in the years after that that I sort of started to look into it more and start doing my own research on it and uh i think at the time i i was i was sort of getting into like alex jones and stuff like that and uh and he he sort of had a field day with with 9-11 and he was sort of talking about it like uh at all hours and uh i ended up watching uh i don't know if you ever saw the loose change documentary about 9-11 you know i i have never seen all of loose change um the first thing that I ever heard of to alert me to uh, the possibility that there was some sort of a different story was um, Zeitgeist. Okay. So that was my my intro to... That was actually my initial intro into all of um, conspiracy type shit was um, Zeitgeist, the first one. I see. Because I never really... I mean, I've always been a, you know, I never took any, um, I never thought anything about the news. I mean, I just assumed they were lying or was bullshit. Like, I never, like, was really, you know, I never, like, put much stock into it, like, uh, ever since since I was a kid. Like, uh, some of my earliest memories are of politics are of uh, Clinton cheating on his wife with Monica and the whole dress thing. Like, so I, I just, I would never have put in any uh, stock into politics ever since I've been a kid. And, mm-hmm. um, so I never was really into conspiracy theories, but I, I was never also, I also was never fully in the matrix as they say, you know, like I was, it seems like I've always been just not really taking much, um, putting much stock into any of that so by the time i saw zeitgeist um i actually watched it while i was in iraq and yeah. that really um made me start thinking about a whole bunch of shit because obviously there's a bunch of stuff about 9-11 and all kinds of stuff in in the first zeitgeist which you know then it started to make me question the patrols that we were doing in iraq and what the hell we were actually doing because I had never it re- really had never crossed my mind very hard before that which is sad yeah it's sort of different than like than my uh 
interest being sparked in conspiracy theories. I, I was sort of, I, I started using the internet from a very early age and I've stumbled across a lot of weird stuff. And even, uh, I also used to watch the public access channel a lot. And, uh, actually, I don't remember how old I was, but I saw, uh, a David Icke video on, uh, on public access, like at a pretty young age. And I was pretty fascinated by it. Like I, I didn't really like believe in the whole, like lizards controlling the world thing, but what he had to say was, was sort of like true in a lot of other ways that there is sort of an elite that that's controlling things behind the scenes. And that while they may not be lizards, uh, they, they obviously don't really have, uh, our best interests in mind. So that was sort of some of my early experiences with getting into conspiracy theories. Yeah. Uh, I just know that when I first saw or heard any of that information, it did not come as a shock to me. <laughs> it, it actually made sense. You know, it was the first thing I'd ever heard. I think that actually made sense. You know, because all throughout school and all throughout my life, all the information that I had heard, it just seemed like a watered down bunch of bullshit that it didn't really seem very plausible in reality. You know, like all the stories of every story I'd ever heard through a book or uh, in a class or on TV just seemed like a watered down version that was either straight up propaganda or you know the just the biggest watered down version that you could ever think of um that when i actually heard zeitgeist and then subsequent other you know went down the full rabbit hole of everything else um that was the first time i ever heard something that i actually thought wasn't bullshit <laughs> i think uh personally for me the older i get and the more things i read the more the more i realize that a lot of the narrative that we're fed in the West is very, it's very Western centric, like, uh, it's sort of like the cliche quote of like the victors write history. And there's a lot of that in like the sort of mainstream history that we're taught in the West, like where pretty much every narrative is aggrandizing the U S and making us out to be the good guys, even though throughout most of history, we've been the bad guys. And, uh, most of the shit that the U.S. government has done hasn't been uh, very good for the rest of the world. <laughs> no. Especially military-wise, like, we pretty much, like, a lot of it, uh, a lot of the, the military action that, that uh, the, the U.S. military has done around the world has just made a lot of these countries worse off than they would have been if we had never been over there in the first place, so... <laughs> Yeah, I know for sure that my time in Iraq and lots of other people I know, um, you know, I don't know if it was completely pointless, but it definitely didn't do much. Uh, you know, did help some people here and there in our little village, you know, occasionally. But in the grand scheme of things, it would have been better if we would have been there. If we wouldn't have been there at all, or you know who knows you know it's it's a different culture than than ours uh, like 
they just do things different than us. So they should just do it however they want, and we can do our own shit. You know, no one needs to tell them how to do their own shit. So. <laughs> when it comes to the Middle East, there are so many different factions that are that have been fighting for thousands of years that. When, when you throw in, like, big military powers like the U.S. and Russia, like, it sort of just makes things worse. Like, there, a lot of the people fighting in the Middle East are using guns from, like, the Gulf War and, like, all these old wars. And even some of the terrorists I've heard are using, like, World War II-era weapons that that the Russians or who knows who else left behind. So it's pretty, uh, it's pretty wild that just the clear effects that of how we've either caused more chaos or just generally made things worse for the people that actually live in the Middle East. <laughs> yeah, it's just a bunch of shit at this point that, I mean, really the only thing that could keep it at bay is to either leave completely <clears throat> or just stay there forever. <laughs> I mean, that's really the only options, you know, because the longer we stay, at least the places that we're at stay somewhat stable because we have people who are like trying to stop mortars and stop attacks but you know if we just left it probably would just clear up at, at some point I don't know who knows it's kind of that's it's a little bit you know you can talk about that all day about whether or not but um, I would say like uh, yeah I guess I, we probably should get into some more like um what what are the what would be the first thing that you heard of of nine eleven um, that made you think it was anything other than what they said? I think probably one of the biggest things for me is just Osama bin Laden himself. Like, if you start to look at the videos that the media like was presenting to us, like you can clearly see that they're like out of out of order, like. And some of them, Osama's younger, and some of them, he's older. And, like, it just seems very un impossible that a bunch of terrorists living in caves that have, like, no sophisticated technology could pull off one of the greatest attacks on U.S. soil ever done. Like, plus, there's also, like, the big thing of, like, the actual, like, flight stuff that happened. Like, these people that... I know, like, some of the hijackers supposedly had, like, some flight time on their records, but there's no way that they could have possibly flown the intricate patterns that that uh, the planes actually ended up doing. So just, like, I don't know, it's just the whole, like, explanation on, on the Taliban themselves and Osama bin Laden doesn't really add up to me. <laughs> yeah, um... I think it's been proven quite a few times that uh, there's no way that the planes could have made those maneuvers even with the absolute best pilots, much less pilots who had such minimal amount of flight time. You know, how could they possibly have got that plane into the Pentagon the way that it... it it's like a, a modern marvel that, that whatever, you know, Boeing 757 or whatever size could have made that unbelievable arc that it did to to magically get into the Pentagon and then uh, you know there's no fucking wreckage whatsoever of a plane they ne they still to this day have never released the footage 
uh, from across the street of the plane hitting and they cleaned up all of the wreckage within like one day uh, you know like no visible plane <laughs> um, parts anywhere you know it's like what the fuck and, and then like every single uh, crash um, of the planes they like magically found their all the passports of the supposed <laughs> hijackers is like you're telling me there's no fucking plane there's no fuselage there's no wing here no engine there but we've got the passport of the guy that did it <laughs> like what the fuck how is that possible it seems insane <laughs> yeah like sort of what i was getting at earlier was like it seems like the whole, like, the Taliban is responsible was cooked up way before, like, and there was just too many, like, convenient things that were happening at the same time, like, uh, Rumsfeld lost, like, millions of dollars of the military budget, and the only records of that were kept at the, the, uh, Pentagon, so it's like, well, I guess, uh, all those records are gone, that's pretty convenient, and, uh, just like, uh, I don't know, there. It doesn't seem like uh, there was a real investigation done as to who really did it. The pieces just sort of fell into place, and oh, it's obviously the Taliban. <laughs> right, and the 9-11 Commission, I mean, this is why I started off the podcast with um, JFK and Oswald, because that really set the absolute precedent for the government and how they deal with um, things, you know. With the Warren Commission, um, after JFK's assassination, the Warren Commission basically decided from the get-go to make the entire commission and, and investigation prove that Oswald was a lone gunman, you know, even though they had, like, unbelievable amounts of evidence to the contrary uh, so it's the same exact thing for 9-11 I mean the 9-11 commission the whole outline of the whole um, commission is to prove that 19 hijackers from Saudi Arabia hijacked these planes there was a catastrophic failure of NORAD um, <laughs> and they uh, hit these buildings um, that disintegrated before everyone's eyes in free fall motion which have never happened ever before or ever since <laughs> and to include building seven which was not even hit by a plane uh and the and the entire 9-11 commission from the get-go was aimed at coming to that conclusion before they even started which that's just like the modus operandi of the government which I think they perfected to a T during the Warren Commission. So, you know, they're so good at it and used to it at this point, and so many generations of people who have been doing it that, you know, it's like, uh, how could you even expect um, to get an investigation from the government unless you have some outside organization do it? I mean, there, if the government is investigating, it's going to be a corrupted um, scam. 
And if anyone that thinks otherwise is delusional. You uh, you wouldn't let a murderer investigate themselves, so you having the government investigate themselves is all a conflict of interest. They're never going to say that these parties are guilty, especially if uh, the guilty parties are the highest people in the government. They're never going to sell out the president and Cheney and all the people that had foreknowledge of, of what was going to happen on 9-11. So. <laughs> right. I, I mean, why, why would they... You know, obviously they had to do the 9-11 commission, obviously, for PR reasons. But if you actually read the book, uh, the entire thing is a, just a... It's almost like a complete rehash of the Warren Commission. Just instead of <laughs> Oswald and uh, a, a sudden lax of uh, um, Secret Service... Uh, there's a sudden lack of secret service the the car spud uh you know came to a stop um oswald was able to get off six shots two you know two headshots just total bullshit uh you know and the 9-11 commission is exactly that same way i mean they just prove all the shit that they want to make the story fit but when you actually read the whole narrative of it, I mean, they have so much evidence of the opposite of what they're saying <laughs> that it's it's almost too much to even think about because with every single evidence that they introduce, there's a counter piece to it that is fitting in with the opposite of what they're saying on almost every single piece of evidence. You really have to be... Uh suspending disbelief and just blindly trusting them if you even believe one piece of the official report because there are, like I said, there are so many holes in it. And just another thing that, that really gets me as far as, like, the, the biggest coincidence in history is that uh, there were these NORAD, uh, like, tests that, tests that they were doing to, like, simulate uh, some sort of uh, air attack, so... Just the fact that that was happening on like the same week that 9/11 happened, like if you were supposedly like doing these mock uh, test runs to see what would happen, uh, it seems like you were woefully unprepared for it. Like, uh, what what exactly were you practicing? Like, uh, I don't know. Just like, what are the protocols for NORAD to when there's an enemy aircraft within American airspace? Like, obviously they don't want to let all those civilians die, but it seems like someone has to make the call of like uh however many people are on this plane their lives are you have to weigh it against the lives of people in new york uh because obviously the casualties that happen from the the crashes are way more than what would have happened if they would have shot these planes down so it just seems like this whole norad thing was if it really if we really are going to believe the official narrative then it was had to be an incom the worst incompetence in history on their part to let that let these aircraft through American airspace uh, without even attempting to to uh, basically e even if they weren't going to shoot them down they could have at least like tried to lead them away from like major cities or something but these tests uh, that they were doing the week of 9/11 uh, were a massive failure so.
Well, that's that's the thing about the the whole thing with NORAD is in the morning of, you know, they were still doing the exact same mock drill. I mean, it was the same exact drill that they were already in training doing, you know. So uh, how the hell is that ever? I mean, what a there's no coincidence like that ever. <laughs> I mean, you're doing a mock drill that planes are going to hit towers and uh, you have to spin them up suddenly on the at the exact same moment that it's happening in real life to where <laughs> it just fucks up the whole scenario and no one knows what the fuck's going on. Which, I mean, NORAD, the whole point of it is that there's guys sitting there just waiting to get in the jet. That, that's They're just on constant QRF quick reaction force they have nothing to do just sitting there waiting until they get the call to jump in the plane to go either shoot down an enemy threat or you know whatever their orders are and on that one day when it actually mattered the one time they're having the exact same uh drill uh, you know it, it's there's no fucking way basically it's a little too convenient. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing that has gotten me kind of, uh, it's just like the same story over and over again. How many times do you have to have a fucking, some sort of a attack or false flag or whatever, and they, they just use the same washed up stories over and over again? with no very very minimal um like uh creativity at all you know it's the same thing that happened in uh london or wherever in england the seven seven bombings they were doing a mock fucking exercise exactly the same time that the subway bombings were happening to where no one knew if it was false or, or not you know it's like Fuck, come up with another idea, <laughs> you know, like, jeez. The thing with, with me about 9-11 is, like, I'm no expert on, on these sort of things, but, like, even if even if we 100% believe the uh, official story, like, it still calls into question, like, Bush and Cheney and, like, Halliburton and stuff, like, they, they obviously knew that the Taliban was a threat and... 9/11 caused us to go to these, these into these wars that we're still in to this day like just the fact that they sort of made it into a, a their own personal profit enterprise after the fact like even if it wasn't a conspiracy what they the, their reaction to it was was certainly uh, evil enough from for me just like the whole like creation of uh, like new branches of government like uh to uh, like how they created uh, homeland security and all this, all the basically all the freedoms that they took took away afterwards, even if it wasn't a conspiracy, like all the stuff they did after the fact was was evil enough to where um, even if you were to believe the official narrative, you still shouldn't. Uh, we we still should be bringing up Bush and Cheney on war crimes for what they did after the fact. Yeah. I mean, 
they definitely uh, they used they used the American public. Uh, they it worked perfectly. It's the same thing that's happening now. It, it's people are being bamboozled because the media tells them to get scared and then they just give away all the rights you know with if 9-11 hadn't happened and we didn't have 20 years of just constant erosion of our freedom there's no way that they could institute what's happening right now so easily you know i mean 9-11 changed the whole u.s into a police state um and we're living in it now uh just like there there'll never be uh a before 9-11 you know there's not going to be uh now it's going to be they'll ne we're never going to go back to before covid it's the same shit you know they're going to probably institute another branch of government further erode our fucking rights even more to the point where we're just going to be living in our own house and only allowed to leave whenever they say you know which all this started and you know obviously they had the roots before 9-11 but 9-11 is what ushered in their um ramping up of their agenda which obviously is coming to complete fruition now <laughs> The real scary thing to me is like the, the extra powers that that were granted, like to the NSA and stuff like that. That basically what Snowden uh, blew the whistle on was was like uh, sort of a direct result of the extra powers that the NSA got to to spy on American citizens, like without any without any probable cause. Like they could just listen to any phone calls or pull up any records of anyone that they wanted, even with no probable cause to do it so that that's sort of like one side effect of 9-11 that is pretty pretty scary right which they you know which that's going to start happening even more now it was easy in the beginning because everyone was so united and scared and just everyone suddenly had a american flag tattoo uh and we're just all about going to war um, that caused everyone to give away all their rights um, in for fear of terrorism. And now we're the terrorists now, which, you know, Alex Jones and David Icke and all these people, Bill Cooper, had been saying this shit for 20 years or even before. You know, the Unabomber, Ted Kaczynski basically predicted all, that our society was going to come to this shit show that we're living in now in the 90s, you know? And it's no wonder that we're living in our, our current state that we're living in. Um, and it's only going to get worse and worse and worse until it breaks. You know, the system has to break down eventually. And uh, I think we're, we're in that hyper portion of that process right now but it was all initiated um on 9-11 at least our current uh state of affairs yeah i think it uh it was definitely another watershed moment in american history it set, set us down uh 
pretty dark path, but uh, I don't know. I, I I like to look at it a little bit more optimistically that that things could change. But I don't know. Just just the way like the whole global economy is sort of built on the military industrial complex. It doesn't really. It, it seems like it's going to be a pretty big chore to dismantle that. And uh, with with the current like military budget, it doesn't seem to be slowing down anytime soon. So no. I mean, that's the only thing that they do agree on is the defense budget and the black budget. <laughs> I mean, they, they don't even talk about the black budget anymore. Like, uh, in the recent years, everything has just flipped. You know, Democrats used to be, like, super against war and military spending and military adventurism. And now, all of a sudden, just everyone is on board with uh, fucking all the Middle East shit and any war and fuck it, just give unlimited amounts for defense where, you know, God only knows how many trillions goes directly to black projects that that have no congressional oversight whatsoever. You know, no one even talks about that anymore. At least in, in the Bush administration, people were like at least trying to talk about it at least. Now everyone, no one even talks about it now. Yeah, I think that's one of the big uh, signifiers of the whole like left-right paradigm being sort of a an illusion is that like even these these democratic presidents uh, are just as warmongering, if not more so, than than uh, people on the right. Like you look at the Obama presidency and all the drone strikes that happened under his watch and. I was reading an article recently about uh, there was a drone strike they did that that killed this like teenager, um, and it, the whole like story behind it was was pretty bullshit. Uh, just because it was actually his his dad that was some sort of uh, ISIS agent or something, and yet they had already killed him in a previous drone strike like the week before. So the fact that there was this other drone strike that took his son out that it really had nothing to do with like his dad being an ISIS. Like it doesn't really make sense. It seems like they're just, uh, the drones are just like indiscriminately killing like civilians. Like there's really no military strategic reason behind it. Yeah. Both, both those, um, assassinations by drones at that time, um, they were both U S citizens and actually the, the main guy they were trying to target and his son, um, had lived in New Mexico. Um, I can't remember the hell that what the hell that guy's name was, but he had lived in New Mexico prior to that. I think they they actually killed him in Yemen or something. Um, that's that's a weird coincidence. Yeah, uh, because I remember when that happened. Uh, I was reading an article about it, and uh, the dad that they were targeting. I don't know exactly how he was tied to New Mexico, but he was living there for a time, um, and he was a citizen. <laughs> yeah, I don't just like regardless of uh, who who the president is or whether they lean left or right. They it seems like one of the biggest requirements to become president is you have to be willing to uh, sign off on the military budget. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously under their own control. I mean, <laughs> that's quite obvious. 
I think one of the main things about 9-11 that, that really um, got me into questioning it, questioning it originally was uh, Building 7. Um, because when I first, you know, during 9-11 as a kid when I saw it, um, I had never heard of Building 7 ever before. Um, it wasn't until Zeitgeist that I ever heard of it. And then once I started looking into how the hell Building 7 came down, um, that's what really piqued my interest with the conspiracy of it, you know, because I had never once heard that there was a Building 7. And I bet you, if you ask your uh, regular people out there t today, to this day, about Building 7, uh, you know, it's still not known for the, ma the the majority of people, you know? Yeah, it seems like it was sort of buried in the media after the initial, like, uh, the day one coverage of the story. Yeah, because it came down that same day, but not till like, 5 p.m. or something. And, you know, that's what really piqued my interest into the whole, like, holy shit, this is a fucking conspiracy, you know? Because all of the information you know, that they had about that building, all the documents that were in Building 7, the CIA, and uh, all the insurance policies that they pulled out. And, uh, you know, with every piece of evidence that they have about Building 7, every single aspect of it is fishy. <laughs> you know? Not to mention yeah. the fact that the building just um, collapsed in a free fall mat, uh, free fall fashion, the same way you would if you were doing a controlled demolition. You know, I mean, it's really hard to see Building Seven come down and not see a controlled demolition. Like, I don't know how it's possible. <laughs> yeah, there's also the interview with the guy who supposedly owned the property, and he said. He used a, a suspicious phrase of uh, he said like there was some there was so much structural damage that we decided to pull it and it's like well what does that mean like yeah <laughs> decided to pull it like yeah there was that one guy I can't remember his name I know what you're talking about he was like uh, I think they had that on film also of someone saying it too before it came down like pull it or something. Which is very fishy because even if some sort of debris did hit the building, like there's no reason that it would have done enough structural damage to where you would have to destroy the building or let it or let it be destroyed or it just it's just very bizarre because I don't know exactly like how far away it was from the regular World Trade Center towers, but I don't think like whatever debris hit it would have caused enough. Like I'm no, I'm no engineer, but pretty sure some random debris hitting the building wouldn't be enough to totally destroy it no and uh, i at one time you know after i saw zeitgeist and i started getting into info wars and then i got into all the things that have led me to this point now um so i got the 9-11 commission report book and then in there they have the entire story about building seven um you know because they did a, the official 
um, narrative of Building 7 was conducted by NIST, the whatever the hell that stands for. Basically, the scientists who proved that it, it, it all came down due to building fires, which, uh, you know, it, that's never happened before, nor will it ever happen, because you can't fucking bring down a uh, steel column skyscraper down with fire because it's so structurally sound that you it, it's built to be withstand a lot of shit that's the point of it it's fucking a big tall building it's not meant to collapse it's meant to be uh, crashed into earthquakes it's meant to withstand so much shit you know, the only way to even build a skyscraper or any of those types of buildings there's so much unbelievable unbelievable amounts of code that you have to pass to certify the building and get an occupancy permit that right. there's no way that building fires and just the building being on fire so somehow melted fucking a hundred support uh, steel support columns to cause it to all um, collapse at once which that's basically what they what the overall um, investigation laid out was that the the catastrophic failure of the support columns due to structure fire is what caused it to be a controlled demolition style um, pancake effect is what they said um, which is bullshit, really. I mean, if you think about it, there's just no fucking way. I've been on too many construction projects and seen way too many inspectors to know that you're not getting uh, a building occupancy permit unless everything is 100% legit. And especially if it's in New York or California, they have way higher standards for the, for those things because of that reason you know they're they're not meant to go down they're meant to stay for hundreds of years <laughs> yeah and i also heard a lot about reports from people on the ground like firefighters and first responders that they saw individual explosions happening on the floors way below uh where the planes hit so something fishy definitely went on there like I don't know, like, if you can necessarily trust, like, a bunch of random firefighters, but if they said they, they were seeing explosions, like, that that were obviously totally unconnected to where the planes hit, that seems pretty fishy to me. Yeah, and uh, to this day, they still, you know, there was a group, you know, victims of 9-11 group, who was a big part of the 9-11 Truth community, you know, I don't know seems like that whole thing is just kind of um, gone by the wayside. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if it's active anymore or not, but at the time, there was a lot of victim families who were had first-hand witness accounts and all kinds of shit. I mean, it was a huge amount of people who were questioning the official narrative because their family members died there who had um, actual like affidavits of, uh, you know, like there's a, a hearing explosions 
and all kinds of other shit, you know, that are counter to the official narrative, which obviously, if my family member dies in something like that, you want to know what happened. And they, to this day, have never um, done any sort of justice t towards that. Yeah, it seems like... Uh... I don't know. It's just it's just another case where you you'd have to suspend disbelief to to believe the official narrative. Like no building in history has ever fallen uh, from from being on fire. At least not not a building of that size. So I don't know. Just uh, doesn't add up. What do you think about the? Uh, because in recent years, I've kind of heard some other theories about the weird like it seems like with all these horrible um, shootings mass terror attacks and everything that there has to be this level of like uh, black magic that's involved with the actual event in order to make it a massive uh, psychological operation um, to fully, it's almost like putting a mass uh, trance on the population that you're that you're uh, pep, uh, perpetrating the event on, you know. So people think, or you know, I've heard theories of people talking about how 9/11 is a you know the best ever psyop for that reason, and how um, a cult a cult it is and how um, the black magic of the entire event uh, is what perpetuates the current state of the world you know it was such a tragic tragic event that was um, purposely done with <laughs> evil thoughts uh, you know to pick the date of 9-11 you know 9 emergency two towers symbolizing all kinds of other shit you know bi biblical references and whatnot you know which it seems like lots of um, false flags and terrorist attacks and everything like that um, seem to have some sort of element of the occult or have to do with a certain date or numbers you know like it like they're doing it on purpose so that they can't ever just do a false flag on the population. They have to give them hints because it's part of the spell. The spell has to be um, given to the initiate so that they um, are part of the spell. So there's all kinds of clues that it's bullshit so that it's like a an agreement between two parties that... Um, the person doing the spell and the person receiving the spell um, is all in one page and they do it purposefully that way to complete the psychological operation to, and have the maximum amount of effectiveness to further their agenda you know no matter how sick it is uh, you know what do you think about uh, that that aspect of 9-11 well I think uh even without like going too crazy into the like occult stuff behind it, it's obvious that the people that are in power are obsessed with these sort of this sort of like symbolism, and they're obsessed with um, 
the occult. Like, like if you look at uh, the stuff that Alex Jones exposed about Bohemian Grove, there, there's basically all these rich, rich dudes and politicians that meet up in the woods to worship Moloch, who was, uh, I believe, an ancient Babylonian deity who, um, during biblical times, they would do child sacrifice, and they're they're basically doing a mock version of child sacrifice at these rituals at Bohemian Grove. So if they're doing that stuff just sort of to have fun, um, you can imagine what they would do if they actually wanted to do some evil shit. So um, if you just look at the stuff that's sort of been like uh, brought to light on on what uh, these rich elite people are doing uh, out in the woods uh, to have a good time, it's not a big leap from that to uh, to guess that they might want to do some other uh, heinous, some real life heinous shit uh, to to get their rocks off. So, right. And if there's one thing that seems to be the, the case is that all these elites are for sure a part of of shit that we are not a part of. You know. They're all go to private schools. They're all a part of different uh, secret societies, skull and bones. Uh, almost every single one is a a mason, uh, you know. And those organizations have other goals and uh, rituals and ends that has nothing to do with America or anything like that. <laughs> I mean those organizations are on their own uh, timeline and they you know it seems like they've been working almost since the dawn of time to usher in their psycho narcissistic agenda um, and it doesn't seem to matter to them how long it takes uh, just generation after generation one step closer one step closer until finally uh, we're at where we are now where even now we we haven't reached the crescendo of the new world order but we're definitely you know 50 feet from the cliff or something you know at this point yeah i think uh, people in power have always uh, sort of um been obsessed with strange things like I know like Hitler was really into like weird uh, mysticism and he had a whole like uh, like some a lot of his commanding officers and stuff were all weird believers in weird occult stuff and uh, I don't know it just seems like maybe uh, you can just explain it by uh, when you're when you're rich and you really have nothing else to worry about you uh, you have a lot of free time to start doing research into stuff and uh you also have the uh the ability to sort of put your own plans in motion and you can you can do these psyops or these these grand uh false flags or whatever you want to do just to as an experiment uh just to see what would happen and to see if just to sort of test your own uh how far does does your own power go like uh it seems like a lot of the biggest uh like evil acts in history have been done sort of just as a test to uh to, to test the limits of their own power and see how much they can get away with before uh, someone steps in and and intervenes 
Yeah, like it's their version of hanging out and watching TV. <laughs> you know, like, oh, what do you feel like doing today? Uh, I feel like committing a massive genocide um, <laughs> purely to convince the black man to hate the white man for a few generations and then you know we'll go from there our kids will our grandkids will pick up from there but um let's see let's start with that <laughs> yeah and sort of a something that's been going on like at least since like the the 50s and 60s has been like uh the government's been really interested in stopping like anti-war movements like uh that stuff i was telling you about from that book uh, chaos basically sort of exposes uh how the cia and a lot of like the big government agencies uh, at the time were sort of doing a lot of uh a lot of work to infiltrate like any groups that were sort of had any sort of anti-government or anti-war stance like they had, they were infiltrating the hippie movement, the Black Panthers, like communists, people that they suspected of, of even uh, harboring any sort of like anti-government stance, they were, they were basically waging war upon all those different groups, and it seems like they they basically were able to win that war, and now now they've moved on to like sort of the next whatever the next step in their plan is. So it's uh. It's interesting to see the way things unfold if you if you look at it through the lens of uh i guess trying to figure out what what their main agenda is and it seems to be basically stopping anyone that's that's critical of the government and uh they don't like they don't like critical thinking like like george carlin said uh and like you said it's it's a big club and we ain't in it yeah <laughs> yeah they, they basically uh, CoinTelPro, counterintelligence program. They infiltrate in, any possible um, meaningful dissent. They infiltrate it, completely fuck it up, and demonize it to take the steam out of the legitimate organization that could possibly um, take power, you know, like Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, fucking Bob Marley. I mean, any person who has any sort of non, you know, wasn't a an, an elite who is gaining power and actually trying to be positive in the world or do anything, uh, they get infiltrated or demonized or assassinated um, before they have any means to be able to go against the system that's trying to uh, force us into this lifestyle. Since it's uh, Martin Luther King Day, uh, it's sort of something that's sort of related is, uh, I, I've just recently heard about this, but I guess uh, it was documented that he received some sort of letter from, people assumed that it was from uh, the CIA, basically encouraging MLK to commit suicide because they had some sort of dirt on him so that's that's pretty scary yeah they they had been um surveilling him for a long time and they had a shitload of uh evidence of all his affairs they had like a sh bunch of uh tapes and shit so they 
were trying to blackmail him and con- convince him to commit suicide so they wouldn't have to deal with it, you know, anymore. Because, you know, if there was one leader who was going to unite the civil rights movement, it was him. You know, Ma- Malcolm X was too divisive to um, bring in the, the most amount of people. Martin Luther King was, uh, you know, being a preacher and uh, more a fan of the nonviolent form of civil dis- disobedience. He for sure had to go, <laughs> you know, whereas Malcolm X was a little bit more like obvious in his anger towards the system um, and wasn't afraid to hide it, you know, which, you know, he was killed either also. But um, yeah, they, they were definitely uh, surveilling him and doing everything they could to undermine him and ruin his um, standing with the civil rights community. Yeah, it's, uh... I mean, allegedly. I mean, who the fuck knows, really? <laughs> it sort of all sort of ties in, like, if you... Something that's sort of related to that, you, if you go back even further, is... Uh, I, I recently took a course about the Harlem Renaissance, and we uh, we had to study about uh, Marcus Garvey, and uh, Garvey was basically advocating for uh, black people to return to Africa, and... Uh, which uh, obviously a lot of people didn't want to do that, but uh, it's it's just weird that someone like that, like I could imagine, like the uh, the government, like sort of talking about it behind the scenes, like yeah, this guy is not really saying anything dangerous, like uh, even if uh, people did listen and people did start going back to to Africa, that's that's a safe uh, a safe thing for us, but someone like Martin Luther King he's sort of starting to advocate for for all poor people to sort of band together against us like we got to take this guy out yeah i think that's something that gets lost nowadays too is like obviously he was for the black person to be equal you know but also i mean the south was equally shitty for anyone who lived there <laughs> black or white you know i i think the whole uh that's why there was such a um huge massive movement in the civil rights uh at that time because it's not just poor black people who are suffering in the south and dealing with the government you know uh it's anyone who is under the thumb of the government um you know they don't give a shit what color you are as long as you're able to give money give them money and uh they can use you for whatever they want to use you for right and if if you want to believe that Martin Luther King Jr's assassination was a conspiracy then you can look at some of the last things that he said before he died that were starting to to turn away from race like he I think he sort of realized that that battle had been won so let's let's move on to trying to unite all poor people and you know the elites don't want that so got to take him out at that point no yeah. if there's hope it lies in the proles 
<laughs> which you know that's one of the biggest takeaways of the 1984 the book is the system seems so powerful and seems undefeatable but in reality they are such a minority to the mass of people but the mass of people is so um, beaten down indoctrinated and marginalized that they don't even know that they're being screwed and would never uh, join together to defeat the system, even though they easily could because <laughs> they have the numbers. Right. That reminds me of uh, uh, Huxley and Orwell, uh, the letter that they, the, the course the correspondence they had via letter where they basically see if we can find the exact quote, but it was something along the lines of, uh, um, let me see if I can find the quote cause I don't want to butcher it. <laughs> yeah. Cause they were in contact. Uh, I think it was probably the letter that Huxley wrote to Orwell. Yeah. Essentially like they both like, had, a uh, their own vision of, uh, of how the the, the uh, government was going to be controlling us, but uh, neither one is is particularly uh, good for us. It's they're both equally equally bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean Orwell's version was way more authoritarian and in your face, whereas Huxley's version was less was subtle, but uh, still complete control just the average person had a little bit more freedom i guess at least mentally um that they weren't uh so beaten down as opposed to uh orwell's vision where people were just wearing gray jumpsuits and suffering each day and <laughs> the horrible fucking uh, lives that they had to live right what are some other aspects of 911 um, that stood out to you that because uh, really I think 9-11 is kind of like the white whale of conspiracies at least in this era because there's at least a minimum of a hundred different items you could point to that are counter to the narrative um that need more scrutiny that will never get any legitimate light of day coverage by the mainstream me mainstream media um you know another an another big one for me is uh the whole like seal team six operation to, to basically bring down osama like uh oh yeah that was a <laughs> crazy one there so essentially what they want us to believe is that the SEAL Team 6 captured Osama, but rather than bring him to justice, they basically killed him and then threw his body into the sea and gave him a, a burial at sea for some reason. So, and then like, even beyond that, like there's also the, uh, the people in SEAL Team 6, like a couple of them died in very mysterious circumstances shortly after that. So that's also very fishy, but just the whole, like, this guy's, like, public enemy number one. Like, he's 
supposedly the biggest war criminal in history and you're not going to at least show us his body like what kind of bullshit is that yeah but they had no problem publicly <laughs> executing saddam publicly fucking just ruining gaddafi uh <laughs> just pablo escobar fucking was robbed out of the morgue and <laughs> paraded i think they shoved like a fucking something up his ass and everything on the streets <laughs> i mean but you couldn't like uh you know give osama bin laden a similar treatment the the one who was the ultimate mastermind to you know because that was one of the biggest things in iraq for a long time was uh aq it had a name al-qaeda in iraq they were the biggest threat to u.s troops because they were the ones that had training so you know they were the ones that were uh responsible for all the roadside bombs and they were the ones that actually had snipers with actual training um mm -hmm. so that was always um uh, you know osama bin laden was ultimately behind all that uh, supposedly but you finally kill him and i don't know the whole thing is such a um it, it seems false <laughs> But, you know, if you hear the story, because the, the one guy, I think it's Rob O'Neill is the guy who um, supposedly shot Osama. And, you know, he's a Navy SEAL. Um, but after reading, um, I can't remember the name of the book. It's written by that one Delta Force commander, Dalton Fury. Um, I see I think it's just like called hunting Osama bin Laden, uh, but it's about what happened um, in 2001 um, in Tora Bora uh, because they basically had the first um, free fire zone um, since Vietnam of dropping bombs um, on that position and virtually everyone that was there was like there's no fucking way anyone can survive this. Like, it kind of seemed like they all thought, like, well, we, there's that, you know, fucking, he's got to be dead, you know. Even if, even if he didn't like die in this massive bombing they were doing, like, supposedly we have the most sophisticated military, and they can't even find a bunch of dudes in caves, like. Obviously, if, if you're living in a fucking cave, you're, like, I don't know. Obviously, they had a lot of ground to cover, but it seems like you're you're not operating with very many resources uh, if you're living in a cave. So, I don't know. They just had so many years to, to actually bring Osama to justice, and they never actually did. They supposedly killed him in some fire secret firefight, and we never even got to see a body. So, it's like... I don't know about that. Like, that's kind of why I brought up the whole, like, the videos that the media showed of Osama giving all these speeches and how he was always a different age in each of them. Like, it sort of makes me, like, think that he probably maybe even died before 9-11 and they just had all this footage of him conveniently saying this anti-America stuff. So it's like, 
damn, this guy is the perfect scapegoat for all this. Like, he said all this anti-Western stuff in these videos. We can just release those, and everyone will eat it up. <laughs> right, and uh, honestly, prior to 9-11, um, there's this other book. I think it's called Hunting the Jackal, possibly? But it's written by this uh, SF legend. He was in like special operations for like 40 or 50 years. And he was surveilling Osama bin Laden, you know, when he still had the, that other name, UBL, Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. So in the book, he's fucking somewhere in Yemen or Jordan, just surveilling Osama, Osama bin Laden every move <laughs> in the 90s, like 1995 or 6 or something like that. But he was never given any order for to kill him, you know, he was just doing surveillance. Um, so he had been on the radar of special operations and the CIA for quite some time, you know. And even before 9-11, they had that huge, or that um, documentation that they wrote up called PNAC, uh, Project for a New American Century. I think it was written in 2000, but uh, in the paper, they basically just say, we need a new, a new Pearl Harbor to unite the country uh, to be able to usher in our our agenda for the new American century. Uh, which, what a coincidence that <laughs> one year later in, two, in 2001, everything that they were talking about in the, the project for a new American century happened. And suddenly Osama bin Laden is to blame. And mm-hmm. now we're going to war. And, you know, it's... It's hard to believe that it's not a conspiracy, you know. That also calls into question, like, uh, like the Saudi royal family and how the Bush family was basically friends with them, and the Osamas were, uh, the, the Bin Ladens were also uh, very close to the Saudi royal family, so they were all sort of like friends, and there was even like a lot of photos of Bush with. Osama and other members of the Bin Laden family. So it's like, obviously, I don't know how close they were, but just yeah. the fact that that it went from sort of overnight from like the Saudi royal family being real friendly with the U.S. to suddenly they're the enemy now. And uh, well, not they're not the enemy. Just Osama Bin Laden. He's the he's a rogue. He's a rogue prince who just was pissed <laughs> for some reason in the 80s because he was fighting off the Russians in Afghanistan and got trained by the CIA that he just developed this jihadi mentality you know and decided to wage war against the US because you know even though he was a millionaire prince he's just all pissed off for some reason it's definitely um I don't know. This, there, to me, it's like there's no fucking way. I never actually finished this book, but there's this book that goes into like the history behind the Bin Laden family, and it's all very strange. Like, uh, 
I think the Osama's dad actually has like 30, 30 children and like uh, they each like got some portion of, of his inheritance. Like, uh, I don't know, like some of them got like millions of dollars a year and all this stuff because he was so, so rich. And it's all just very odd that the there was another uh, bin Laden that lived in. I don't know exactly how long he lived in America for, but he had like some sort of like crazy mansion where you would have all these parties and all these like big political players and uh, like people from Hollywood even would go to these parties. And I don't know, it's just very weird. Like if, if he was really the guy that perpetrated 9-11, it should have been very easy for them to find him. Like you were friends with his brother and all his, the rest of his family, like you should have had some leads on where the guy is hiding. Well, that's what I mean. Like that book that I was talking about, Hunting the Jackal, they knew where exactly where he was. That that guy, the special forces dude, I can't remember his name, but he's a legend. Was just running around, like doing jogs around where he was at and doing like surveillance on him, and for quite some time, you know, they knew everything they needed to know, and obviously something uh, happened or they um, whatever agenda they wanted to push he fit the narrative for for them and they just ran with it and who knows what really happened or if any of that was even true in any way I mean the whole thing could be complete fucking propaganda all the way you know what I mean Bin Laden could still be alive for all we know. There's no body, so... Or, he... I mean, could he have ever even existed, ever? I mean, <laughs> who the fuck knows? I mean, we see some videos here and there. I mean, who... who it could be anybody, for all we know. I mean, how the fuck do we know? We don't know <laughs> shit about... I mean, to this day, you don't hear one mention of Saudi Arabia nothing they the media never says anything about saudi arabia ever like we talk about all kinds of shit in the media and uh whatnot but they're never ever talking about saudi arabia or what goes on there i have no clue about saudi arabia nothing i have no i know nothing about it other than 19 guys got on a plane and ruined a country once that's about it. <laughs> I don't know exactly where I heard this this narrative from. It might have been from Alex Jones, but basically, I I heard some sort of statistic that if if you counted up all the money that like the various oil princes and stuff from the Middle East, like the, the amount of money they had in American banks and the American stock market, if they were to pull all that money out at once, like it would it would totally like collapse the economy. So. It seems weird that uh, that's that's who uh, supposedly uh, some rogue son of of, uh, of the Bin Ladens uh, perpetrated all this stuff. But it, it it's very fishy that like we've been friends with so many different people in the Middle East, and we were even friends with Saddam before before uh, they decided that he got a little too out of control. So it's just like. I don't know. It just seems very odd that uh, we would fight this this war that's still going on to this day on supposed terrorists, even though there's not even 
a shred of evidence that that Al Qaeda really was the one that perpetrated 9/11. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's too much, and I and I think that's the the big problem that the average person has with nine eleven or any conspiracy theory for that matter. It's just like this is one question that I would ask Tony all the time, my wife, the co-host, um, which it's always the question that comes up from people who are not into conspiracies or just don't know that much about them. It's like, well, how could so many people keep a secret or, you know, how could they possibly get that many people to sign on to this conspiracy and without having any whistleblowers uh, for so long? But for me, it's like, the the majority of the people that are involved are a very small amount and virtually everyone else was just doing their job unbeknownst to them that they were participating in any kind of conspiracy you know all information is so that's why it's called top secret select compartmented information you know even if you have a Q clearance you only know what you know you don't know anything else, you know. It's not like you just have a uh, instant um, privy to any information. You only know such a narrow view that who the fuck knows what's going on. All you know is I had to deliver this letter to this person at this time. That's it, you know. So when most people think about conspiracies, they're like, "It's uh, how could you possibly have so many people that?" Um, are participating in this conspiracy and never are blowing the whistle, you know. But I don't think it, it, it's not requiring that many people. There's only a very minimal amount of people that actually know, and the rest are just doing their minimal tasks, you know. Like, say there was, say the Twin Towers were destroyed by bombs and the planes never existed it was a hologram or who knows what <laughs> i mean you got 10 guys who um were paid or you know part of they're in the cia and the in the special activities division or whatever their job was to go do put explosives in the t twin towers weeks prior to the to it happening you know all they know is that they went to go do that. Do they even know that it could have been real explosives? You know, like to say that there's so many people that know intimate inter information and they just um, are keeping their secrets to their grave. I think it's not really like that. It's just there's so many people involved that have very, very minimal amounts of information that it's easy. To, to you know the greater the lie the easier it is to to make that um, you know so I think that that argument doesn't really hold up when you really think about it yeah I think if if you were going to pull off like basically the biggest war crime in history you wouldn't go around telling everyone about it it would be a very select few people who knew the real reasons why you were doing it I'd say probably 
Bush and Cheney probably probably know like what what the real story is, and maybe like a couple other people who who were involved, like you said, in the actual whatever they did. Like even if even if they really didn't do anything, and they if they even just had advanced knowledge that there was going to be some sort of attack and did nothing, like that's enough for me. Like it doesn't have to be some crazy massive conspiracy. If it was just them two that knew about it before 9/11 happened, and they and they failed to stop it. That's that's enough of a conspiracy. There didn't have to be uh, a lot of extra layers to it. Obviously, there it was a pretty uh, massive uh, thing with all the aircraft and the actual buildings themselves that had to be done way in advance. But um, if 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 who knows like how long it uh, if if they did perpetrate it, uh, if it was a conspiracy, they had plenty of years to plan it out and uh it could have been done to where maybe who knows they maybe the the people that planted the bombs they had them killed right after so so that no one would know about it except them so there there was a lot of ways for them to cover their tracks and um pretty much like when you brought up like the occult stuff earlier like it, it just sort of made me think like there's really no need for any like dark shit to happen like patriotism is like one of the strongest drugs there is and if you say that osama or whoever a uh, bad guy perpetrated this crime against america that's basically all you have to say you don't have to provide any other proof or anything like that you just have to basically wave a flag in front of their eyes and say well looks like we found the guy who did this so you don't need to know uh, anything else beyond that right and i think that's where the majority of people just accept that you know and that's fine for them Uh, because to go any deeper it's a little bit too much you know it's like it's not a nice worldview to have to think that (laughs) you're living in a fucking manufactured reality you know it's not really that very comforting to think that every politician everything you watch everything you hear is propaganda you know it's easier to just think like oh this is uh the news or this is this is just a song or this is just a tiktok video you know when in reality the majority of all that information is some sort of uh psychological operation to get you pointed a certain way you know so it's much easier to just uh think that everything is just happening organically and it's all just uh natural progress you know it's much easier to think that way and not think too much about it plus there's like if you look at people who have been like studying conspiracy theories and like doing actual research to find out what the truth is like it's it's not really a a heroic job it's not something that's going to make you millions of dollars usually it's going to be it's probably going to actually ruin your life if you actually dedicate your life to investigating these things like if you look at like someone like alex jones or david ike like sure they have like a lot of like people who who follow them or whatever but they don't exactly have the most glamorous lives like in a lot of cases they really like their family life has fallen apart and like 
they have a lot of personal issues going on. It's it's not a there isn't really a much reward in it uh, other than I guess it, it might help you to sleep better at night to know that you're you're sort of on this quest for truth. But uh, not not everyone. <laughs> there are very few people that are willing to go on that kind of quest. Like if you look at Snowden and the, like his whistleblowing that he did, like that basically ruined his life. Like he knew that it was going to totally fuck up his life yet he did it anyways like it it ruined his relationship with his wife and and he pretty much had to go live on foreign soil in secret to he could like who knows if he'll even ever be able to come back to the u.s um like hopefully someone will eventually give him a pardon but the people that expose bad shit about the government don't end up living very uh, glamorous lives no, and it's so easy for the mainstream to uh, demonize anyone that does. It's just so easy because um, they're min the minority. You know, we're we just ha we are a culture of the majority. You know, and anyone who is not doing the conformity <laughs> is wrong and they should be they're ridiculed I, like we're taught from a very very young age in school uh, to all be on the same page and when anyone is going against that grain of any any group type of activity they're just singled out and ridiculed <laughs> so you know that's just the kind of culture that we live in and it's no different with conspiracies and uh, the media and everything like that. Yeah, it makes me think of George Carlin once again, like uh, basically like uh, the whole way the country is structured with like public schools, like they're not encouraging critical thinking, they want obedient workers. And uh, if you're questioning the orthodoxy, you're not gonna be doing uh, your, your shitty nine to five job uh, very well. So. They don't want they don't want you to, to think critically they only want you to be an obedient worker yeah just smart enough to uh, pull all the levers and uh, mop the correct floors but not smart enough to realize that it's all a bunch of bullshit <laughs> pretty much which you know I think a lot of people who are the older generation you know 50 and older the, you know there was a time that um, the media at least had a some sort of a semblance of being truthful you know but that has that ended like 40 years ago I mean <laughs> I mean at one time I'm sure there were some who possibly were trying to tell you the truth or who knows what but that is over for sure you know so a lot of people in the older generation I think are still um, thinking that that's what's going on you know when what they really should do is turn the TV off and throw it out the window and then just go about their day yeah that's sort of a one of the reasons why I decided to study English is because uh, <clears throat> there hasn't really been like good journalism uh, in this country for a long time. Like 
there are still like good journalists out there, but um, they're very few and far between. And when it comes to mainstream media, that's pretty much like all garbage. It's all clickbait and just stuff that's going to generate ad revenue. It's not really, doesn't have any intellectual value. So um, it would, it would be nice to, uh, to have good journalism in this country again. Cause we did have that at one point, I'd say, I'd say like prior to JFK, like there actually was like some value in, in the media. Like there were people that were wanting to report actual shit that was happening. Like, like if you look at the Vietnam war, like that was pretty much one of the first wars where shit from, from the front lines was being broadcast to people's TVs. And people started to realize, uh, like, like you had said, uh, in your JFK episode, uh, that's sort of when people started to maybe see that the official narrative wasn't exactly uh, what was really going on. Like, obviously, a lot of the stuff they did show on TV was was pretty uh, propagandistic. It was pretty. Uh, they carefully selected the stuff that they allowed to be on TV, but from that point forward, uh, it sort of became pretty hard to do real journalism because there was always going to be some sort of partisan spin on it there's going to be some sort of agenda behind it so it would be nice to to at least uh even if one person can't make that big of a difference to to try and bring some semblance of uh actual uh truth to, to journalism and the media <laughs> which that's why i am you know to this day still so into the alternative media because there are people out there who have no fame no money and nothing who are writing articles and reporting on shit um that is truthful and exposing you know that's what the point that's the point of the media the media is supposed to be a fourth branch of government basically to expose all the corruption that's happening you know and that's why there's such a demonization of alternative media now you know because uh, the media who's supposed to be that fourth branch is dead and doesn't exist uh, so the alternative media is is that now the the real version of it so it has to be stamped out <laughs> which they are succeeding at you know um, it's only a matter of time, you know, we're only talking now because of power. I mean, cut the power. Uh, we're going to have to be talking through ham radio, you know, there's no, you know, everything is so fragile that the means of communication are so easily disrupted that, um, you know, if they have the mainstream power, then they control the narrative. And it's so easy to stamp out alternatives. That's why, I, uh, at this point, uh, I'd like to just say to uh, any of the feds that might be listening, personally, I love America, and uh, I'm on your side. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Uh, <laughs> and I think that one thing that um, people don't take into account uh, the government, you know, like it's always like this loose term. The government is doing this and that, but in <laughs> reality, especially when I was in the army, the people who are 
in special operations and at the high levels. Um, not not the like cabinet members, like not the directors and stuff, but all the the grunt people are mm. not for the government. <laughs> I mean, they're almost universally anti-government. <laughs> they just want to be left alone and uh, do their own thing, you know. So I think when the time really comes that anything is ever to happen, you know, I'm not too worried about that because the majority of the people I met in special operations were um, not on the government side, I guess you could say. Yeah, um, speaking of that, uh, a lot of the stuff that I've been seeing on social media lately has been interesting because, uh, like, there's all these stories about how the FBI is basically, they're investigating the, uh, the 25,000 troops that they have stationed, uh, to guard the inauguration, and, like, so, it makes you wonder, uh, how many people that are in the military would, uh, would actually be uh, if push came to shove, whether they'd be on the side of the government or if they would uh, basically turn rogue and decide to side with the people over over the government. Well, <laughs> uh, I I have a one anecdote about that. Um, I was in Germany. We we're in the field. Um, so this is like a forty-five day field rotation that we we're doing prior to going to Afghanistan, and. Um, I think Obama was the president and there was uh, some sort of uh, like sequestration or it's when they threatened to not pay the troops and all kinds of other shit like that. Mm -hmm. So we were in the field uh, just doing our shit we're supposed to do and someone has a radio and they find out that um we might not get paid, you know, because in the army you get paid on the 1st and the 15th. And basically everyone came to a consensus that if we didn't get paid, we were just going to leave the field <laughs> and just go back, you know. <laughs> and it wasn't just like low-level soldiers. It was platoon sergeants, first sergeant, commander. We just all stopped training and hung out around the radio bullshitting uh talking about how well fuck this we're not we're, you know we're not getting paid we're fucking leaving so and <laughs> this was a major fighting force training to go to afghanistan you know i mean i think that they are a little bit confused on the reality of the situation you know um I don't know. Yeah, I don't think uh, a lot of those troops stationed <laughs> in Washington are uh, are going to throw away their lives to uh, to protect uh, a politician, basically. <laughs> no, and uh, you know, a lot of the thing that they don't talk about too is like majority of those troops are National Guard. You know, it's National Guard troops, so uh, probably a lot of them are not infantry troops. Um, they could be anything, <laughs> you know, I mean, they could be any MOS, 
So, I mean, it's it's likely that the last time they even picked up a rifle was in basic training. You know, it's not it's not like they're doing battle drills every day, um, training on war type tactics. You know, the majority of those people, would my guess, uh, are a lot of them are lower enlisted, so E five and below, and probably a lot of them are pogues uh, or non infantry, who really don't have any very minimal amount of uh, tactical training, you know. So, <laughs> it's not, like, to me, it's like, oh, 20,000 troops, like, okay, 20,000 guys who can barely pass the PT test and are <laughs> terrible shots, uh, who don't know, who don't know even know how to react to contact, you know, it's not very scary to me, you know, but that's just my personal point of view, because I know, you know, I was in the army, so I know that, about that type of stuff. Whereas if you are just watching the news, like, oh, shit, 20,000 National Guard troops, that seems, like, intense, you know? It's sort of like that scene in 300 where uh, Leonidas is asking uh, the Acadians what what, uh, what they do for a living, and there's a lot of potters, and yeah, <laughs> pretty much none of them are actual soldiers. They're just people that uh, happen to uh, have picked up a spear or whatever. Yeah, they just were the the right age to be drafted, you know. <laughs> well, that's uh, sort of makes me think that the inauguration probably isn't like the media like wants us to be scared about some sort of civil war erupting, but I don't know if it's just if it's just the National Guard versus uh, a bunch of. Uh, crazy Trump supporters, then uh, I'm not too worried about it. <laughs> yeah, I, and not only that, it's like, uh, I don't know. It's just another theater for them. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Not even worth, like, putting much thought into. Like, I guess we'll see in a couple days, but... <laughs> I'm not too freaked out about it. Yeah, I kind of wanted to, to to sort of pick your brain about that a little, but maybe that's better for another episode of uh, the capital stuff that happened in the capital. <laughs> yeah. All right. Do you have any other? Uh... I mean, there's so many things about 9/11. You know, we really didn't go into that many, but. Um... Can you think any of any other ones that are interesting, yeah. or that you've put a, that you've put any research into? Yeah, there's this one video I really enjoy uh, that that sort of it's a very quick rundown of like a lot of the bigger like holes in the story. I was trying to find that video, but uh, I don't know, just like some of the stuff we've already gone into, like. Uh, the whole like Pentagon thing is another interesting one because I know like without the with the absence of like any sort of fuselage or anything aircraft related that was found there, I know a lot of people have theorized that it was like uh, a missile, a missile strike, like uh, perhaps some sort of a military helicopter flew in and just shot a missile into the building because 
the way the wreckage actually looks, um, it, it looks like some sort of, like something cut through that area of the Pentagon. So it doesn't look like a plane hit it because a plane would have caused a lot more destruction than, it seems like there was more pinpointed rather than like a, a plane hitting it would have been, there would have been a lot more like rubble and shit everywhere rather than like a straight line cutting through like one particular specific part of the building. So that's another interesting one. Yeah, because a plane has wings, so it can't just blast through one, you know, it would be a wider margin, you know, whereas a missile would just be, depending on what kind of missile, you know, just cut through a smaller portion with a bigger explosion, whereas a plane would just be like uh, more damage with a wider um, footprint of the damage. You know, I'm sure there would be an explosion also, but the damage would be quite extensive, <laughs> I would guess, you know. Gigantic plane just smashing into a building uh, going 300 miles an hour or whatever. For me, it sort of calls into question uh, the motives of the actual attackers themselves. Like, was their goal to kill as many Americans as possible and cause as much terror as possible, or... Because when you look at the Pentagon and Building 7 and these things that happened sort of like that didn't get reported on as much, like... Uh, Skanksville. Exactly, yeah, what exactly what was the terror reason behind that? Like, attacking the Pentagon, like, doesn't really strike terror in, in me personally. <laughs> like, it, it obviously probably scared the shit out of all the people that work at the Pentagon, but... What does that have to do with like getting a revenge against America or or what the Taliban supposedly stood for was like Western ideals are like contrary to Islam. Like I just don't understand what the motivation would be behind that. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, why not like crash one plane into the White House and then another into like the Mall of America or something? Like just a mass casualty event not just like let's go blow up you know let's crash our planes into the only spots where there's records of shit like <laughs> why is it not just a mass casualty event as opposed to convenient spots where there were so many records that needed to get destroyed yeah it seems like uh if your goal really was to like scared the American people as much as possible then you would have just focused on killing civilians rather than these very strategically picked out like government targets like that that just so happened to house records for a lot of shady shit that the government's doing like very convenient that uh, Rumsfeld lost I forget the exact number of millions of dollars in the military budget and all these other records were lost uh, in these attacks like I don't know it just seems like there's no reason for Al-Qaeda to, to pick those targets like uh, if their actual goal was to sow terror amongst Americans. Yeah, how did they even come... You know, I can understand because supposedly, which that is even a, 
questionable also you know the original trade center bombing in like 1993 you know there was a bomb placed at the tr at one of the twin towers in like 1993 or around there um, that failed it like turned out to be an FBI uh, sting operation type of thing but how did Al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden or whoever decide on um, the Pentagon and the Twin Towers, you know? Like, I never even know, knew what the Twin Towers was, being an American. And I did not care or even, you know, if you had asked me in 2001 where the Pentagon was or what it did, I w wouldn't really be able to tell you. So why would they pick clearly like odd targets <laughs> if the point yeah like you're saying like if the point is to for pure terrorist reasons you know if if Osama really was this genius mastermind like I don't know just like the they obviously like you said uh, that that special forces guy like knew Osama's every movement and like seems like he should have been uh, had to have been planning this for decades or <laughs> to, to actually pull off what happened like he would have had to have been I don't know just a bunch of guys hiding in caves couldn't do all this like there had to be some sort of someone on the inside had to have been helping him at the very least uh, if it wasn't a grand conspiracy there had to be some inside men that were helping him out Right. <laughs> you know, it, it just stinks of a counterintelligence <laughs> operation, uh, which most of them do. Uh, virtually every terror attack that I can think of uh, is sketchy and has some sort of un... Uh, just fishiness about it that you know if this were true it would it wouldn't uh, work like that it would have some sort of other qualities about it <laughs> too many things went right for for the attackers like no one tried to shoot him down like supposedly no one questioned the fact that a bunch of Middle Eastern dudes were getting pilot licenses and I don't know it just seems like the government has to have some sort of watch list for for people like foreigners that are that are trying to get like uh flying time like i don't know it just seems like there was way too many red flags that and there were, there were even people within the government that said later on that they tried to warn uh high level people about a possible terror attack that was coming and they seemed to have just been ignored so even if you look at the actual intelligence community and what they were doing prior to 9-11, they, they had to know that something was going to happen and they it would have had to have been the biggest failure of our intelligence and military community to not be able to, like, maybe not prevent it completely, but to just, the way it all happened so perfectly that it just doesn't, doesn't add up. And that's what um, the 9-11 Commission basically outlines, is that 
the government was so incompetent that all these agencies didn't communicate with each other, which caused intelligence failures, which that's why they justified all the things they did in the wake of 9-11 is because there was such a catastrophic failure of intelligence that we need to create the Homeland Security, the TSA, uh, Patriot Act, so that we can never allow this failure to ever happen again, you know, <laughs> which, you know, so it's like not only is it a false flag to erode the rights of Americans, but it's a false flag with a double um, meaning for them to be able to use it as a, oh, well, we just failed, so that's why we have to enact all this shit also to make sure we never fail again. Like, basically, like, admitting that they're incompetent so that they can make it seem like they have no um, culpability for the event itself. Yeah, it's it's almost comforting to think that that they could have been that incompetent, but uh, I don't know. It just doesn't uh, doesn't seem like uh, like with the amount of money we're we're spending and the amount of resources we're pouring into agencies like the FBI and the CIA. Like, if they really knew nothing about. 9-11 prior to it happening then I don't know just it's uh it's hard it's hard to even uh imagine that world because it's not the world that we live in it's solely not reality uh to, to think that uh the government is that is that incompetent <laughs> yeah I mean if there's one thing that's true though is virtually every um, bureaucratic organization is for sure incompetent, uh, you know, which I did learn that in the army, you know, basically nothing was ever going to get done unless you didn't take personal lengths to try to make sure it got done. Because if you didn't, you know, for sure your paperwork was going to get lost. For sure it was going to not um, go to the right person. You were gonna have the wrong signature in the wrong spot, you know. Everything that would be a fuck up would happen unless you took the personal responsibility for every single thing to happen, because there's just not enough accountability broadly in such a um, tiered organization like that, you know. So I, I do understand their um, reasoning for. Um, calling out the ineptitude and and using that as a scapegoat, but at the in the high levels, um, it's not the same, you know. Like in Delta Force or um, the CIA or any of those high level um, organizations that conduct operations, uh, every single one of those guys on those teams are just absolute. Um, the best at everything you know right. they're not making any mistakes and if they do they're very minimal and you know so to think that people at that, that level are accidentally fucking shit up there's just no fucking way because 
just to get to that level, you go, you have to go through years and years and years of selection type processes to to weed out any individuals who have a propensity for failure. You know, anyone who's at a Delta Force or DevGru or Marsoc or any of the any tier one or even above tier one, any individual in that level their propensity for failure is extremely low and the entire organizations of those groups are comprised of those types of individuals i mean to think that they're just whoopsie daisy type shit <laughs> i mean it's absurd i mean basically if if you if you make a mistake people die so you're pretty you try pretty hard not to make uh, big mistakes like that right and they they're not um, shy about just firing you and kicking you back to the regular army. I mean, if you are a failure and fuck up, they will immediately get rid of you to go back to the regular part of the army or whatever organization. So it's not like people like that are just sticking around and just fucking up massive <laughs> operations, you know. Anyone that does that leaves immediately and a new a new one comes in uh that's how those organizations succeed you know and that's why we don't know, that's why we don't know about the majority of the operations that happen because there's very little failure right. <laughs> basically for something like 9-11 to happen there would have had to have been a extremely long chain of failure after failure and it's just uh it seems it seems like uh, it's almost too easy to to paint it as a conspiracy because just so it got so far down the chain to where failure after failure would have had to have happened to where the the mathematical odds of it getting that far just don't really make sense after a certain point. No, which that that's the same thing with the JFK. Um, conspiracy is that uh, literally everything went wrong that day and leading up to that assassination that the possibility of all of those coincidences are uh, there's just no way frankly that there's also uh, an interesting tie between JFK and 9-11 because uh, George H.W. Bush was actually present in Dallas that day uh, that JFK was assassinated. So it's possible that that uh, the Bush family is really good at doing conspiracies because they have prior experience in the past doing it. Yeah, there. I think there was that supposed letter from George H.W. Bush to um, his wife talking about him being there on the... Because he was in the CIA. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, I think that's what people don't understand about these organizations. Like, they're just these organic organizations. You know, anyone who is in the CIA at that level, you, cannot, you can never get, just get to that level, ever. The man off the street in a million years you you can get to lower levels i mean there's lots of guys that i've known 
who got out of uh, being a sniper or got out of um, special forces and did CIA operations. But those are at a low level, you know, they weren't like the leaders. They were doing operations in for the CIA, but they weren't making policy or anything like that. And anyone who is at that level, I mean, there's no way you can get to that level unless you put in the work. And that the work to, that you have to put in to get to that level, I mean, is most likely bloodline work. And um, being a part of all the right secret societies just to get there. You know, there's no way that just a random guy from the Bronx pops up and is a, in high level of the CIA. That's just not the reality. It seems like uh, the people in power have had a lot of time to practice their conspiracies. And uh, by the time 9-11 rolled around, they had already done so many that they had gotten pretty good at it by that point, it seems. Right, and we're still, we were still in an age of sleepiness with the public you know people were not connected like they are now and people were not tuned in to this type of shit like they are now people were it was a completely different world you know it's 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 really hard to even explain to people who weren't alive at that time how different it was compared to now that just the way airports were prior to 9-11 was totally different than the way it is now. Yeah, I mean, it was like getting on a, the city bus to go on an airplane. You know, everything was just so different than it is now. That it was the perfect time, actually, for the elites to perpetrate that. You know, because if they try to do that same operation now, I mean, they would have way more video evidence against them because of all the cell phones and everything else that it would be hard it's much harder now you know yeah definitely uh the, the rise of smartphones has started to re- reveal a lot of the the cracks and the uh the chinks in the armor of uh, the people in power like uh just like the stuff that's happening to cops now where Obviously, the cops have been beating the shit out of people uh, pretty severely uh, since the beginning. But now that it's starting to be caught on camera, people are waking up to the fact that these authority figures uh, don't don't really have your best interests in mind. Right. Yeah, it's just too hard nowadays. Well, it's too hard, but also it's too easy because everything is controlled you know all, all you have to do to get a narrative the way you want it is uh, you know whatever the mainstream says that's the narrative and if you're against it you will be <laughs> demonized and and removed uh, you know so like any operation that happens now you know everything happens in real time and people are actively trying to discredit it but they can't get any of their information out because they have no voice because they're so marginalized that no one believes them anyway. So 
anything they say, it's like they don't even care what they what what all any alternative people even say, because it makes no difference because they're not reaching any audience to make any impact. You know, it's like dimension A and dimension B life. You know, it's the mainstream version or not. And if you're not in the mainstream version, no one listens to you or cares, and you're just some wacko. And then there's the mainstream version, and everyone just goes by that, regardless of the facts or the proof or the evidence. It, that that doesn't matter whatsoever. It uh, it's sort of strange uh, with the rise of like social media and stuff like that. The way the way things work now, because it's like it seems like it would be sort of harder to do a conspiracy now, but uh, just the way that. Like you said, the narrative can sort of be controlled. Uh, like, uh, I don't know if you've seen the uh, the Netflix documentary, uh, The Social Dilemma, but uh, basically it goes into how Facebook, uh, in, in certain countries, Facebook is basically uh, the only internet that people are allowed to use, and pretty much the government can just post a bunch of propaganda on social media and the, the citizens just assume that it's truth because that's the only internet they have. So if you sort of extrapolate that to a country like America, it, uh, it's sort of, you can start to see the ways that the narrative can be controlled via things like social media. Like, uh, Facebook has these ads like election ads that pretty much, are trying to get people to go out and vote and they have a massive impact on the actual amount of people that end up voting. So these technology has kind of become the new way to, to sort of, you don't even really have to necessarily do conspiracies anymore. You can just sort of create this false narrative on social media. And most people are probably going to believe it because that's the only actual research they're doing. And they, they're just, sort of accepting stuff at face value that they see on the internet rather than actually doing any sort of investigation into what the real facts are. Right, and it actually works perfectly for a counterintelligence operation because they can put their narrative out there, whatever it is, true, false, doesn't matter. But if there are people in the alternative media who are in real time actually reporting on the facts and the the timeline of things in real time they can use that also in their campaign um to uh, for misinformation so that uh there's multiple layers of uh propaganda so that it's completely impossible to tell what is true and false Right. Which, you know, it's kind of freaky to think think about because most people don't think about this whatsoever. They just look at shit and just go on with their day, you know. They don't even know that they're being assaulted by propaganda. They just accept it for whatever the narrative is and then propagate that message to everyone they know. Whereas when I read something or hear something, you know, 
I already know whatever that's being said is bullshit. So I'm going to have to go spend some time to determine what the fuck the point of what they're saying is and what the real story is. <laughs> it uh, sort of reminds me, uh, I almost hate to use this as an example because I love the guy quite a bit, but uh, it reminds me of Eddie Bravo just because uh, he's like this big uh, conspiracy theory guy, but it seems like he's uh, he's sort of like the poster boy for like uh, the really misinformation. Cool yeah, they're really he's sort of the poster boy for like the really gullible conspiracy theorists because it seems like he just fully buys into every like conspiracy theory, like even like the really like obvious the ones that seem really obvious to me, like like space is fake and like that NASA is like the flat earth and all this stuff. And, like I don't know, just just that sort of conspiracy theory is very silly to me, but I don't know. It seems like everyone uh is is gullible to a certain point it just uh it's what you choose to to buy into uh that that's different between people yeah and the thing is you know virtually no one knows <laughs> you know i mean I, i'm not a contributor to any news organization i, I don't know what the cia memos are <laughs> coming out to all the organizations you know i don't know what the narrative is i mean i can see what the narrative is being pushed on me and i can make educated guesses as to why they're all coming at you with that certain narrative but i'm not getting any memos so all i can do is speculate you know <laughs> Right. So that's virtually that's pretty much what what everyone has to do, because there's no other way to do it because there's no first-hand information. You know, everyone that has the first-hand information is a part of the system. You know, none of that information ever gets out, uh, or if it does, it's immediately discredited or proven to be false or or they spin it to make it seem like it's not true <laughs> there's definitely it's definitely very difficult to find uh news or any sort of information out there that uh doesn't have some sort of agenda behind it you have to go pretty deep to find that sort of uh that sort of news yeah and uh, even the alternative news you know it's still an agenda somewhat of you know the agenda is to go against the mainstream basically that is the agenda so when you're reading an article that is, that is alternative you know it's hard to be a critical thinker of propaganda because <laughs> You know, I have such an obvious bias against um, the system. So anything that I write or say is with that bias already in it. So anything that I write or say is going to be the moving towards an agenda of going against the system, basically, you know. So I'm sure it sounds good to 
the people who have my same worldview, but to anyone else, it's just like, oh, he's just lost in his own bullshit, basically. <laughs> like, what a moron. He just, he's one of those. He's one of those guys, basically. Uh, he's one of those. <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, it's sort of saddening that uh, conspiracy theorists have sort of become like a, a dirty word because it's an easy way to paint someone as, as being not having a uh, credibility like <laughs> you're you're a conspiracy theorist you you're obviously crazy so it's just an easy way to to paint someone uh, with with a broad brush and say and discredit anything that they might say after that yeah it's bullshit <laughs> <laughs> all right well i'd say we pretty much uh, wrapped up the 911 topic at least for this portion um yeah maybe we could do another one about um something else uh, i'm always down there's uh there's a lot of interesting conspiracies uh there's even ones that have sort of been proven that we could talk about that that uh would be interesting like uh Operation Northwoods and all that type of stuff. Right, which Operation Northwoods, I mean, that is basically 9-11. I mean, they just didn't do it at that time, but, I mean, Operation Northwoods is basically a going to be a covert operation to falsely blame, you know, Cubans to go, you know, I mean, it was going to be uh, actual bombings in Miami or wherever, in Florida, uh, as a false flag, um, as a means for war towards Cuba, right? You know, which they did. They didn't do it, but I mean, it's pretty much the outline of nine eleven, for the most part. Just change Cuba with Iraq or Afghanistan. Yeah, there's been a lot of those type of things where, basically. Uh doing some sort of attack against U.S. citizens and saying that some foreign power did it and just to justify going to war with that foreign power. Yeah, it's just the oldest trick in the book and they just keep on bringing it out. <laughs> but yeah, just let me know. I'm always uh, down to uh, talk about conspiracy theories. Or, or, or are they conspiracy theories or is it just fact? <laughs> Yeah, just uh, a talk about facts. <laughs> <laughs> We're just having a little chat about just straight up regular facts, nothing else. It's no, uh, our own personal uh, theories on what happened uh, aren't any more outlandish than what the official narrative is. So, or is everything we've ever that we've been saying this entire time pre-manufactured propaganda? <laughs> For the purpose of misinformation to be a ultimate feedback loop, you know, that's the other problem that lots of people have with the conspiracy theories too, which I have also. It's like, is this purely a game of misinformation to the max where it doesn't even matter what fucking conspiracy or any information it as long as it's just a saturation of the market of bullshit, um, 
then they're then they're winning, you know. <laughs> Which it could, could just, it could be that, you know, but who knows, really? Could all be a simulation, and uh, the programmers just have a real sick sense of humor and like to see us uh, debate amongst ourselves about what's really going on. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that could be. That could, could be some some guy jerking off to this conversation right now and and uh, enjoying our little uh, our little discussion. <laughs> well, I really hope that's not the one that's uh, the case. <laughs> any other one except that is all right, I guess. But that Hopefully one is it's not that. too much. That's a little too much. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and with that, uh, I would say um, bring us to the end of uh, Double Thought Dimension. Um, this will be episode three, uh, all about 9-11 with my brother, Noel. Um, all right, well, that's it. Have a good one. <laughs>